Welcome to Changing Worldviews podcast with Sharon Hughes, broadcast journalism you can trust to bring you the truth regarding the issues of our day and the worldviews behind them. We've entered into 5784 on the Hebrew calendar, the year of the open door. The new global governance report talking about what will be the trigger issues that could compel the major countries of the world to have to come together and form a global system of government. The issues that you're raising, you're not answering the question. Do you think it was... Forget about critical thinking. We don't even have logic. China's military is becoming a formidable force. In 2022, it had a standing army of just over 2 million. And it has the largest navy in the world. It's going to be a continuing military buildup in Iran in conjunction with Russia. Our fears are that we cause significant harm to the world. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. A man of science who sought to create a man after his own image. Now, here's Sharon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Changing Worldviews. And today on the show... The Muslims didn't know how to respond. Five different times they tried to conquer Constantinople. They were pushed back. And after they were pushed back, some of their theologians began to write their religion differently, saying, well, maybe we'll conquer the world in the last days or in the distant future. And so it gave birth to this thing called moderate Islam. What's happening is a global genocide against Christianity, which is today is the world's largest persecuted religion in the world. The statistics are staggering, right? I mean, we've now lost 80% of the Christians in Iraq. We've lost 50% in Syria. You know, in a, in a generation and a half, we've lost 99% of the Christians in Turkey. You know, in Egypt right now, we're seeing a massive escalation of Christian persecution. Well, I certainly don't need to tell you that we are living in some pretty chaotic times. But as I mentioned last time, I am excited about the year 2024. I think there's a lot of good things that are going to be taking place. And we want to do our job to be sure to report on those as well as talk about the issues that are affecting all of us, especially the worldviews behind them. So we can connect the dots and be aware and discerning as regards to the different policies and issues that come up that can sound good, but may actually not be good at all. And one of the ways we can do that is analyzing, looking at what the worldviews are behind those policies, which really ends up being the worldviews behind the people that are promoting those agendas or policies, whether it has to do in Washington, D.C., on the state level or in our local schools. I've mentioned in the past that Dwayne and I subscribe to AMAC and the CEO of that organization, Rebecca Weber, talked about the fact that she herself also believes that 2024 is a year for hope. No matter what is going on in our nation or in the world, most specifically, today we're going to talk about the issue of what has been happening in Israel. But she pointed out that it's important for us to keep our minds focused on achieving what often feels like the impossible. You know, if you're standing out in the middle of the day in sunshine, you don't need a candle, you don't need a a lamp. You don't need a flashlight, but you do need it in the dark in order to see. And of course, that is part of what Changing Worldviews is all about, to be a light, hopefully, that will help 
us all to see, not only so that we know how to vote or we know what to do with our kids in terms of school or entertainment or any of the rest of it, but also to shine the light, be a light that helps others see. So today, that's what we're going to do. This is part of my interview with author and historian William Federer. And we talked about this early on, right after 9-11. And he's written a book called What Every American Needs to Know About the Koran. If we want to understand what the Islamic attacks, Islamic terrorism, what is behind that. And so that's what today's show is about, because he speaks the truth with hope. You're listening to Changing Worldviews with Sharon Hughes. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is James Robinson. I'm encouraging all of you to join us in prayer for the upcoming elections. We must not only participate with active participation in the vote, but also prayerful participation. Jesus said if you want your house to stand, you must build it on a solid foundation. He said the unshakable rock is hearing and doing what he says, following his word. In this critical point in human history, we must have godly leaders, those who will abide by his irrefutable, unshakable principles. I'm asking you to join us in prayer that people will vote, vote their convictions based upon principles, and vote for those who will uphold principles not set out to political parties or partisan positions. You can sign up for the Pray the Vote Presidential Prayer Team website, www.presidentialprayerteam.org. Become a part of this vitally important effort with me as we pray for the upcoming election. Hi, my name is Janice. I live in Moreno Valley, California, and I have been on Aloe Apex. It's amazing. I have chronic gastritis. I've been suffering for the last three years on a daily basis, and this has pretty much cleared it up. I have Hashimoto's disease, and my thyroid has been enlarged from the Hashimoto's and from chronic inflammation, and this has actually cleared about everything up. Even my neck pain is gone. This is really amazing stuff. So thank you very much for making this product. And for our listeners, if you go to apexhealth.life slash Sharon, you can get a 25% discount or call 833-334-5433. Again, 833-334-5433. Liz, we are still learning about the depth of the viciousness the cruelty of the Hamas attack on Saturday, children burned, soldiers beheaded, women raped and murdered. Israel has answered, raining missiles down on Gaza and promising a punishing ground invasion. War rages, and so many will die before the fury in the Middle East is sated. Of course, we have talked about the vicious attacks of Hamas on Israel on October 7th, 2023. And as you know, the war is still going on. So what's behind all of this Islamic terrorism that's happening, not only that happened on our own soil on 9-11, but continues to happen in the Middle East and other parts of the world as well. I want to play for you part of my interview with author and historian William Federer on his book, What Every American Needs to Know About the Koran. While we talked about this following 9-11, here we are again with what has been described as Israel's 9-11. Everything is happening so fast that we can forget because of overload of everything that comes at us from the news of what's going on in the world. It's important to remind ourselves so we don't forget the truth about 
what's behind the worldviews shaping our world today. And so here's part of my interview with Bill. He's talking about his wife and an experience she had to start off the conversation here. She sells insurance, and Bill Clinton moved 30,000 Bosnian families who are cultural Muslims to St. Louis. And so she's visiting with him. It's funny, she says that the men will buy insurance on their wife, but they won't buy insurance on themselves. Wow. <laughs> they don't care what happens if they die, if their wife gets any money. They just want money if she dies. Anyway, she says, well, now, you're Muslim and everything. If, if there's a, a jihad, will you kill me? And they said, oh, they're not going to declare a jihad. But she says, well, will you? Said, well, if they declared a jihad, yeah, we'd have to kill you, but we don't want to. And it was this idea that they do it out of obedience, not because because they want to, but because they figure, and, and I have that in the book, a verse in the Quran, it's 2.2.16, and it's one of the, the scariest verses because it actually deadens the conscience. It says, fighting is ordained for you as much as you dislike it. Another translation, Yusuf Ali says, fighting is prescribed for you and you dislike it, but it is possible that you dislike a thing which is good for you and that you love a thing which is bad for you, but Allah knoweth and you knoweth not. Wow. Here's the Pickthall translation. It says, warfare is ordained for you, though it is hateful unto you. But it may happen that that which is good for you is what you dislike, and you dislike a thing that is good. Anyway, so it's this idea that you're about to kill somebody, and this voice on the inside says, this is not right. And then this verse comes to mind, you will be about to kill somebody, and you'll think this is not right, but oh, you have to obey Allah, and you will think this, you know, it's bad for you when it's really good for you. And so there's a verse tucked into the Quran to help deaden the conscience, the natural conscience that says it's okay it, it, that you shouldn't kill somebody. You know, one of the things to throw in was the uh, stirrup. You think the stirrup? Yeah, for a horse. And that was instrumental in the spread of Islam. The stirrup was a military invention. First, it was with the nomadic Mongols that would ride barefoot in the 1st century B.C., and they would tie a rope around the horse and put a loop at the end for their big toe. Um, and anyway, that made it down to China in the 5th century A.D., and they widened it and put a little metal bar so you could stick your whole foot in there. And then that made its way to Persia, where they actually made it into a stirrup and then the Muslims got it from the Persians. And so when Muhammad would go on his raids, it was this new technology that you could ride on a horse at full gallop and have a sword. And they invented the curved scimitar sword that with a curve to it. Mm -hmm. That way you, you could slice somebody in half while you were riding a horse. Prior to the invention of the stirrup, you would you know ride your horse to some place and you'd have to get off it and then fight hand to hand. And so this allowed for these blitzkrieg lightning raids. And the area of you know the Holy Land, the Middle East, it was Byzantine Christian. It had been at war with Persia, Iran, the Zoroastrians of Iran. Matter of fact, the Persians came in and destroyed every church in the Holy Land except the one in Bethlehem because it had a mural of the three wise men on the wall, you know, the Magi who were from, you know, the Zoroastrians. And anyway, both kingdoms were weakened, and because there was a power vacuum, Islam was able to sweep in, and they would come to these uh, small villages, and they would, you know, slice people up, and the only way to not get sliced was to surrender and submit and My become goodness. Muslim. You know, there is no other religion that is so violent and will kill you if you don't succumb. I mean, we see this not just in the Arab nations, obviously in Indonesia and in Africa, wherever Islam is. And as you call them the violent Muslims, they will kill you if you do not submit. Is there any other religion that is like that? No. Muhammad even said that uh, this was um, in the Hadith. It says, no Muslim should be killed for killing a kafir. Now, a kafir is an infidel, which is what uh, we would be. And then he goes on to say, whoever changes his religion, kill him. You know, you, you picture mm -hmm. Jesus when he said something, and the apostles said, Jesus, this is a tough saying, and a lot of them walked with Jesus no longer, and Jesus said, you guys want to leave too? Jesus never forced anybody to follow him. We're here, Muhammad said, whoever changes his religion from Islam, kill him. But 
what happened is it spread through this warfare, conquered all of Spain, held it for 700 years, made its way up to uh, Constantinople in 717 AD, and the Greeks there had a technological advantage called Greek fire. Now, this was where they mixed oil with sawdust and put it in brass containers and pumped it up under pressure and sprayed it from their ships onto the Muslim ships, and it would burn them. And the Muslims didn't know how to respond. Five different times they tried to conquer Constantinople. They were pushed back. And after they were pushed back, some of their theologians began to write their religion differently, saying, well, maybe we'll conquer the world in the last days or in the distant future. And so it gave birth to this thing called moderate Islam. And then what happened is the Muslims began to spread eastward and began to conquer these Mongolian tribes. Now, these Mongolians would have a style of warfare where they would ride into a village and kill the men and plunder the houses and, you know, the tents and take the women captive and have as many wives as they want. And they would begin to fight these invading Muslims. But it never occurred to these Mongols to force the people they conquered to convert. The Turkish Mongols began to hear about this religion where you could kill uh, the unbeliever, where you could keep four wives and the ones that your right hand possesses, and that you can keep the plunder. That was one of the motivations. And now you can just do it with the blessing of Allah. And so the Turks converted en masse to Islam. And then they began to spread back westward. And they not only conquered the, the Muslim world and took over, now they're the Turkish Muslims, but they began to attack into Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is where the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation were, and they were all conquered by the Muslims. This is where the Apostle John preached, and the Apostle Paul spoke, and where Smyrna, there was a church in Smyrna all the way from John's time up until 1922, when they had a jihad in Armenia, and they killed a million and a half Armenian Christians. Wow. Well, we have to take a break, Bill, but, you know, I want to let our listeners know, as regards to Israel and the recent terrorist attacks that occurred, that there are many ways where you can help the victims of what is going on in Israel. And Jonathan Weiss, part of the Daystar television network, they are raising funds for Israel. Here, take a listen. The day that we knew the conflict was going on, that we needed to get the funds to the people. I mean, the the needs that we saw immediately arise when this attack happened were so big and so so painful to all of us that we knew immediately we had to start getting funds out. And gratefully, over the years, we've built up incredible trusted relationships with many people that are on the ground that are able to do the work for us. So we are grateful to them. And as long as you continue to sow, we're going to continue making sure that that help gets to Israel. So whether you go to daystar.com or Operation Blessing or Samaritan's Purse, all of these organizations that faithfully take donations and give them to the cause, I encourage you to to do what you can to help. You're listening to Changing Worldviews with Sharon Hughes. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Silence is not an option. There's war, disease, and poverty. And our calling as Samaritan's Purse is to move towards it and to touch it and to minister to people that are in their greatest time of need. We're providing the things that are most important to these people, shelter, water, hygiene, sanitation. It's imperative. We go to the slums of the world, the poorest areas of the world, where kids have never had a gift in their life. We're so desperately short of supplies. We're so desperately short of people. Everything is overloading. And that's why Samaritan's Persons come. The gospel is the power of God. Samaritan's Purse was here the day after the storm. Now we're here rebuilding. Preach it. Proclaim it. Shout it. You're actually rebuilding hope and love. I don't believe we ever back up. We don't surrender. 
the first time you see a heart stop and the first time you see a heart start again is just an amazing process. Jesus wants to take your life and use it for His glory. This month, we have a special on books that address the time in which we are living. Some say the end times. So any donation of $25, you'll get two books that will really address the day in which we live. We found out with killer bees and genetically modified crops that whereas we think we can contain these experiments in genetic modification, they have a way of getting around us. So the future of molecular biology could become a Pandora's box. And with that in mind, I developed a science fiction story called The Aramon Gate, but in which we have probably 1,500 pages of research material stacked up on our desk that was given to us by people who work in genetics and in science and who work in military application, we use it as a backdrop for creating this story. And to get this special, you can go to our website, changingworldviews.com, and click on the donation page and follow the links there. Or you can send a check to Changing Worldviews, P.O. Box 995, Cedar Ridge, California, 95924. Again, P.O. Box 995, Cedar Ridge, California, 95924. More with William Federer. Bill, why did you decide you wanted to write this book now? Sharon, when I saw Keith Ellison swearing in upon a Koran, and after knowing what's in the Koran, I decided somebody needs to let the public know. Not only does the Koran have verses like Surah 517 that says infidels are those who declare God is Christ, the Son of Mary, and Surah 573 that says infidels are those who say God is one of three in a trinity, but it also has Surah 4101 that says infidels are your sworn enemies. Make war on the infidels that dwell around you. It's like, this guy is swearing in upon this book? And one of the things I found interesting is Thomas Jefferson is the one that penned the Declaration of Independence. And Keith Ellison, the Muslim that swore in, he decided to borrow Thomas Jefferson's Koran from the Library of Congress. Thomas Jefferson had 6,400 books in his private library that he sold to the Library of Congress after the uh, library had been burned from the War of 1812. And so amongst his 6,400 books was a copy of the Koran. And it's interesting, Jefferson was so attached to the doctrines of Jesus that he wrote his Jefferson Bible. And he went through the entire New Testament, every place where Jesus talked about love your enemies, turn the other cheek, do good to those that hate you, resist not evil. This is what Jefferson put into his Jefferson Bible. He admired the doctrines of Jesus. So he did not do that with the Quran. Jefferson, in his Declaration of Independence, says what? All men are created equal. And a very cursory reading of the Quran. anybody can pick it up and read it, you will see very clearly that women are not equal to men, and that infidels are not equal to believing Muslims. So here was Keith Ellison swearing upon a book that says women aren't equal to men and infidels aren't equal to, to Muslims, but he's swearing to uphold the Constitution, which is based on the idea that all people are equal. Well, I think he used Thomas Jefferson's Koran, which was part of this huge library, to try to give some kind of credence to what he was doing. Can you, number one, see you or I being in Saudi Arabia, for instance, and being sworn in, being elected, which would never happen, but we decided we wanted to do it on the Bible instead of the Koran? Not going to happen. Yeah, I sometimes think that our efforts to be accommodating are viewed by them as conquest. Now, I'm sure hoping that they'll reciprocate and maybe give some more freedoms to the Christians in those Muslim countries. Unfortunately, 
Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. The Pope welcomed them building a huge mosque just a couple miles away from the Vatican. But Saudi Arabia has yet to invite the Catholic Church or any Christian church to build in Saudi Arabia. So if they're not being reciprocated, and you see this is part of their pattern. Again, there's the House of Islam and the House of War. They actually call the non-Muslim world the House of War, which brings up an interesting topic, because one of the verses in the Quran, Muhammad said it's okay to lie to appease your wives. Of course, he had 15 of them. It's okay to lie to reconcile two Muslim friends, and it's okay to lie in war. So if the entire non-Muslim world is the house of war, and he said it's okay to lie in times of war, then any Muslim can feel okay in lying to a non-Muslim and lying to the West and lying to the media. You've got the president of Iran saying that Israel must be wiped off the map, and then uh, Mike Wallace or somebody interviews him, and he says, well, that's not really what I meant. I mean, he's lying. (laughs) I mean, it's part of the record of what he said. When Mohammed first went into Mecca, he made a treaty with the Jews. He went into Medina. He made a treaty with the Jews there because he had just a handful of followers. And the Jews, there were three major Jewish tribes in in Medina, and he made a treaty with them for common protection for the city. And after a few years, Mohammed had got more converts, and he broke the treaty and went ahead and killed, cut off the heads of 700 Jewish men. And so it was this idea that you make a treaty when you're weak until you can get strong enough to attack. And that's the, the basis that has followed that faith. Yeah, Sir Arafat also followed that mentality as well. There's a lot on record when he was alive saying that kind of thing. He would say one thing in all the peace treaties, and he would say, this is our strategy. But then behind the scenes, he would say, no, we haven't changed at all. We're just waiting until we are strong enough to do what we need to do. I don't know if your listeners are aware, but there is a mosque that is going to be built in London right across from the Olympic Stadium. It's going to seat 70,000 people. What they can't do by taking over by war, their secondhand strategy, as I understand it, is to do it just simply by immigration and by population, have lots of kids and move into which they're doing in Britain. I was just with a member of the EU parliament named Gerard Batten, and he lives in London, and he published a pamphlet, a small book, where he listed all these verses from the Quran, where it says to kill the infidel, to kill the unbeliever, and he asks Muslims to uh, reject these verses. And those that reject them, he says, now we can identify who our friends are, and then the ones that won't reject them, he says, now we've identified who our enemies are. Mm-hmm. But he says it's dangerous because the Muslims are moving in. They can have four wives and more than that if they can afford it. And so they're multiplying demographically a lot faster than the Western Europeans that are having these declining birth rates and having more abortions. And so we're seeing a a demographic change. And, you know, one of the definitions I thought was interesting, the word assassin is an 11th century Arabic word, which comes from the word hashish, the drug. And there was the uh, Hassan e Sabah, who was this Hashashian leader. And Marco Polo writes about having visited this guy's castle, and what he would do, they would abduct men and get them high on hashish and take them to a garden with lots of women and tell them that this was paradise and then take them back where they were kidnapped from and they would sober up and they would tell them, you just went to paradise and if you obey Allah to the death, that's where you return. And so these assassins would have daggers under their cloaks and they'd go into the camp of their enemy and assassinate their enemy right in the midst of his supporters and friends and even in mosques and in temples. And so this is a 11th century pre 
precursor to suicide bombing, where you go right into the camp, right into the midst where everybody thinks they're peaceful, and then you blow yourself up. I wish this could all be made into a movie, because unfortunately our culture today is more image-driven, and if we could put it in a movie, more people would get it. Nevertheless, how can people get a hold of your book? Well, AmericanMinute.com is my website, AmericanMinute.com. I also have it as an e-book, where you can pay 10 bucks and get it emailed to you in an electronic Adobe e-book, and can read right on your computer. That's but, great. Uh, AmericanMinute.com. Bill, can we talk about, there's so much knowledge and understanding about the Holocaust of the Jews by the Nazis. There was a, a huge Holocaust also of the Armenians. I mean, 1.5 million by the Muslims, and that's horrific. And it actually was an inspiration for Hitler, because he saw how the Turks killed this million and a half Armenian Christians, and there was no outcry from the Western world. It first started under the last Belton there in Armenia. His name was Abdul Hamid. And in 1894, he decided to... uh, Turkey used to be a very large area, but in the late 1800s, Greece broke free from Turkey. Romania broke free from Turkey. Bulgaria broke free from Turkey. Parts of Hungary, parts of Poland broke free from Turkey. And the Armenians wanted to break free. But unfortunately, they were like smack dab in the middle of Turkey, and so they couldn't. So the sultan killed 100,000 of them just to start off with. And this is what Grover Cleveland wrote, President Grover Cleveland, in 1895. He says, the reported massacres of Christians in Armenia, the development there and in other districts of a spirit of fanatic hostility to Christian influences, resulted in the destruction of missionary properties and riots and so forth. The next year, Grover Cleveland writes, the hideous, bloody aspect occurring in Turkey, where men, women, and children have been bloodily butchered, made martyrs to their profession of their Christian faith. Then it goes on to say, the outbreaks of blind fury, which lead to murder and pillage in Turkey, occur suddenly and without notice, says Armenian Christians have begun to arrive at our ports. I thought, the sudden outbreaks of blind fury, that sounds like the way they reacted to that Danish cartoon. Mm -hmm. But this is 1896. Well, what happened is that sultan was overthrown by some soldiers, and these soldiers called Young Turks set up a constitutional government, and so the Armenians thought, oh, great, we're going to have some relief. But these young Turks decide they wanted to restore the Ottoman Turkish Empire to its former glory, and in order to do that, they needed to get rid of the non-Muslims. So the first thing they did was they disarmed all of the Greek and Armenian people. As Dimi, you know, that's the second-class status of Christians and Jews, as Dimi, they, they couldn't own weapons, but they demanded that they turn in weapons. And so these Armenians actually would pay exorbitant prices to Muslims to buy a gun to turn in. They were finally disarmed, and then Woodrow Wilson tried to get America to accept Armenia as a protectorate like Puerto Rico, but we were in an isolationist mood. They said, we don't want to get involved in a civil war that's in another country with those Muslims. And we actually had American ships in the harbor of Smyrna, the Pearl of the Aegean. And the American sailors could hear the screams of the women and children as they were being butchered. The blood ran down into the port, made the water red. They drugged the patriarch out of his Byzantine church and dismembered him in the street. This mad fury going on in 1922. And finally, the church in Smyrna was wiped out, even though it was mentioned in the book of Revelation. You can hear more of this interview with William Federer by going to our archives at changeworldviews.com. Just click on the archive link. 
So to wrap up this edition of the show, I always like to give a weekly tip. And this one has to do with hopefully how to save some money on food at the grocery store. As you well know, food going up. I mean, I'm just going to digress here a little bit. I was in the grocery store the other day and food, are you kidding me? I probably don't have to tell you what kind of prices that we're seeing out there because you're well aware. But for January, here's some bargains that you can get. It's also National Oatmeal Month, National Beef Month. Month, National Meat Month, National Tea Month, and National Soup Month. So stock up on oatmeal because you can get it at a bargain price. And also wherever there are any meat sales, take advantage of them because prices are only going to go up. So hopefully that's helpful to you. Each month we'll let you know what's going to be coming on sale. And as always, I like to close out with a song, and this one is by Ted Pierce. To put an exclamation point on what we talked about on today's show, Israel's 9-11 that happened on October 7th last year. The worst attack on Israel since the Holocaust, perpetrated by another evil enemy.
Bibel sagt, ich der Herr dein Gott bin ein eifernder Gott. The Bible says, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Lord, I hear the cries of six million of your people, men, women, children, murdered, annihilated in the Holocaust, and burnt. We confess these atrocities as sin and humble ourselves before you in shame. You have heard our plea, and our repentance has come before your ears. Lord, I see black smoke. It rises up and spreads out like a veil of darkness over the nations again. The dark veil is the sin of our silence. Just as we Germans have remained silent, the peoples and the nations are silent once again. Again, your people Israel are hated, despised, and rejected, and yet we remain silent, even in the church. We are silent concerning the sin of our fathers. We remain silent, and behold, the black smoke is covering us again. From the land of unmerited grace, we are calling out. Nations arise, for Zion's sake, open your mouth, never again, slander, hatred, or death. Israel, we will never forsake you again. You are our inheritance, our love, the blessing for all nations. Listen, receive the word, it will pervade your spirit. No more silence, never again, never again, never again. Well, that's it for this episode of our show. Next up will be our culture shock edition. You don't want to miss it. And until next time, this is Sharon Hughes saying it like it is. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Changing Worldviews. You can follow Sharon on social media or listen to her on many online platforms. Just go to our website, changingworldviews.com, for all the links. And until next time, stay informed, stay alert, because we are indeed living in a changing world. Music